Welcome to the Christchurch Winston-Salem podcast. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Please remain standing and pray with me. Come Holy Spirit now, anoint, bless, touch, and fill your word with power. Lord, be with me as the preacher of the word this morning. Put your words into my mouth. Open our hearts to receive the truth of the scriptures. Lord, bring encouragement where encouragement is needed. Bring conviction where conviction is needed. And in all things, glorify the name of Jesus. And we ask it in his name. Amen. You may be seated. There is a a word, uh, there's an idea that has been bumping around in my head for months now. There's a lot of room for it to bump around, just bouncing off. Uh, But it affects a lot of areas of our lives and certainly of my life. I think perhaps the reason I'm thinking about this particular idea is the stage of life that I'm in right now um, in my very young middle-aged years. So... But that word, that idea is sustainability, sustainability. I think about it in terms of society in general, our our patterns, are our patterns of consumption, our impact on the environment, our political structures, are all these things sustainable over time? Are they enduring or are they doomed to collapse? Um, But if you take an eternal perspective, There is another level of sustainability, and this is the one that is most pressing in my heart. There's another level of sustainability that I would argue is equally and maybe even more and probably, yes, more important. And that is this. Is our life together, are you listening? Is our life together as a local parish, a local church, as a congregation of believers, is that sustainable over time? Will Christ church endure or is it doomed to fade away as many, many churches do? And I take that same idea down to a granular level, down to an, an individual level. Are we forming believers at Christ church in a sustainable form of discipleship? Do we have a sustainable form of discipleship? Is our Christian faith durable over time? Or are we forming people so that they easily get swept away in the riptide of secularism that is in part responsible for so many former believers joining the ranks of the nuns, those who uh, identify as having no religious affiliation? When asked, do you have a religion? They say none, the nuns. These questions have eternal significance. These questions are ultimately important. And we all need to be asking ourselves those two questions. Are the ways, are, are the way we do church and the way we practice the Christian faith, are these going to endure no matter whether we're faced with hardship or seasons of blessing? Will these things be sustainable? 
Well, that's exactly what the Old Testament reading that we heard from Jeremiah chapter 17 addresses this morning. And also the psalm that we offered up in praise this morning, Psalm 1. Both of those deal directly with the answers to those questions. So here's the context of the Jeremiah passage. Are you ready? Jeremiah chapter 17. The prophet is speaking to the southern kingdom of Judah around the year 600 B.C., Now, you will remember, because I know you remember this kind of stuff, that after Solomon died, Israel was divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And in the year 722, 722 B.C., the capital of the northern kingdom finally fell under siege and finally was was entered and, and raised by the Assyrian army, and the northern kingdom ceased to exist. But the kingdom in Judah in the south, the kingdom of Judah in the south remained. And Jerusalem and the temple, you know, the temple of God were there in the southern kingdom. And during the time that Jeremiah is proclaiming God's word, Judah is now facing the menace of the, the menace. That's a good word. The menace of the Babylonian empire. And as we read in Jeremiah chapter 2, Judah is seeking to find its security, its ability to withstand its durability, its sustainability against the Babylonian threat by forming alliances with Egypt and Assyria. Now, all of what I just said sounds just like those crawling credits at the beginning of a Star Wars movie. Episode 4, A New Hope. It is a period of civil war. Rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base have won their first big victory against the evil galactic empire. Well, there's a point to all this, and here it is. Sorry. (laughs) Here's the point. Jeremiah is speaking to God's covenant people about whether or not They are sustainable as a community and as individual believers. Are you sustainable, Southern Kingdom, are you sustainable as a community and as individual believers? That's vitally important to us this morning. Listen again to what it says. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man or makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub. Nobody wants to be like a shrub. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabitable, uninhabited salt land. Here's what Jeremiah says is unsustainable. This is what is unsustainable for the believing community and for the individual believer. And this, if you're making notes, make this note. It is, this is unsustainable. Turning in on yourself, trusting your own resources, trusting in your own cleverness, your own human wisdom to make it in life is unsustainable. Judah had turned away from Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God who had created them as a people and had turned to two ultimately futile sources for its security. The first thing that they turned to, and it's all through the book of Jeremiah, the first thing that they turned to was idols. All through Jeremiah, God condemns Judah's idolatry. This is uh, Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 9 and following. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children I will contend. 
For cross to the coast of Cyprus and see, or send to Kedar and examine with care. See if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. They've changed their glory for that which does not fulfill. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. The first thing that they did is that they turned to idols. Oh, I'm so glad that's the first thing because we have nothing to relate to on that. That's not going to challenge me at all. Mm -mm, No, no, idolatry. I mean, why would anyone change the living God for an idol that they have made with their own hands? Well, here's why you think you can control an idol. God, you can't control. The living God is wild. He's untamed. You keep trying to put him in a box and he keeps busting out all over again. But you think you can control an idol. You can make an idol in the image of your own appetites. You can make an idol in the image of your own desires. You can make an idol in the image of your own agendas. Idols are cheap. They are a cheap and easy way to feel good. They offer short-term pleasure, but in the end, oh listen, in the end, they always end up demanding human sacrifice. You know, churches, unfortunately, I think it may pertain to us because churches can have idols. You can idolize that charismatic and incredibly handsome pastor. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We (laughs) We can idolize our reputation in our community. Oh, we're... We're that, that church, you know, the good one. We can idolize a worldly form of success, a form of success that is easily seen when we compare ourselves with other churches and start counting dollars in the plate and butts in the pew. That's right, I said butt in church. You can tell you are worshiping this idol when you get that sense of smug self-congratulation. Oh, you wouldn't do it out in front of anybody, but inside you're doing this. Yeah, we're doing good. The other way that Judah had looked for security was not in turning to God, but to their own geopolitical schemes. They sought alliances with Assyria and Egypt. Who will protect us from those rascally Babylonians? Well, Egypt has got a great big army. Assyria's got a great big army. Heck, they just, you know, destroyed the northern kingdom. We can, we can ally with those people. They will protect us. Now, why would we do that? Why would, why would Israel do that? Why would Judah do this? Well, again, it ultimately left Judah in control of its own future. They thought. They can get, they get to call the shots. They get to be in charge. And yes, churches can do this too. We can plot and scheme and strategize, relying on purely human resources to secure our future. And then we can tack on a little prayer at the end of all that scheming and Jesify it. 
Now, don't hear me wrong. It is a good and godly thing to think and plan and strategize. That stuff that God put in between in your head is not just there to keep your ears from meeting in the middle. There's a reason for that. And it's good, though, as long as our planning and strategizing begins and ends in absolute humility and dependence on God. That's the only way that that works. Here's what God says to the church that turns to idols or that relies on its own strength and cleverness. You are going to dry up like a bush in the desert. You are going to die. And every bit of that is also directly applicable to your life and my life as a believer. If we rely on our own cleverness, our own income, our own resources, we are going to collapse as believers and slip away into the surrounding secular soup. We think we've got it all together. And what we don't realize is that all it takes is a cancer diagnosis or a tumble in the stock market or a self-destructive child child to bring the whole house of cards down. Oh, I'm just going to slap a little Jesus on my daily life and it'll all be good. Our self-made security is doomed to fail. Uh, The other day, my dad brought out a diary from some great-great-great-grand relative. uh, And he said, look what I found. And he opened it up. And you know what was inside that diary? About $100 in Confederate money. And you know what? That person, I'm sure, thought, you know, I'm safe and secure. I've got $100 stashed away in my diary. If we ever come on hard times, we'll be all right. And except if you're the only people who care about that stuff now are collectors. But you can't take that to the bank. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What is unsustainable is when we hoard and try to control our own resources and have no living water. So what does a sustainable church look like? What does sustainable discipleship look like? What will endure, what will cause Christ church, or what will make me as an individual, as a believer, endure over time? Well, this is what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And that word trust means putting our whole reliance and dependence on the Lord. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots to, by the streams and does not fear, does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Here, listen, 
This is a basic point of anthropology that we have to understand. Here's perhaps the most basic truth about being a human flourishing, certainly of flourishing as a human person. What is the most basic truth? The only way, the only way to truly have life, the only way to truly have life, the only way to truly live the life that is life is to constant, constantly have life flowing into us from outside of us. That's the only way. If we turn in on ourselves, if we seek to be self-sufficient, we will dry up and die. And at every level of our existence, this is true. I mean, even think about, this is the truth that the, Res- the, the Reformation brought home again, is that you can't save yourself. You can't, no matter how hard you try, even if your bootstraps are made of the richest Corinthian leather, leather. And only people from the 70s know what I'm talking about. You know, Ricardo Montalban, was it, was it the, was the Dodge Aspen? These seats have rich Corinthian leather. Like, what? What is he, what is that? No matter how hard we try, we cannot save ourselves. We have to be saved from life that comes from outside of us. Life given to us. And it's true from that level to every level of existence. If we turn in on ourselves, if we seek to be self-sufficient, we will dry up and die. And yet the basic temptation that we have faced ever since that snake told us, you can do it all by yourself. The basic temptation that we face is to be radically autonomous and independent. One of the things that I encounter over and over again when I, when I share my faith, when I'm doing evangelism, when I'm talking to people one-on-one about, about where they are in their life and perhaps coming to Jesus Christ and receiving Him as Lord and Savior is that it really does come down to, I don't, I'm not sure I want that person to be in my life. I want to keep my own autonomy. I want to keep my own individuality. What, what will I lose? Well, you'll lose your broken cistern. You'll, you'll lose that dried up hole that you think is going to provide you with sustenance. But that's what we're afraid of. Churches can do this and people can do this. By the way, this, this truth, this anthropological truth, that we have to have life constantly flowing into us from outside of us means this. It means none of us are viable. I don't care if you're 21 weeks in gestation or 57 years old. None of us are viable on our own. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who lives a life of dependent radically dependent relationship in a radically dependent relationship with the Lord. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 7. Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, and we do, every single one of us is thirsty. And we will try to slake it with something. By the way, do you, I mean, seriously, do you know what a cistern is? Like if you go to an ancient city in Israel, uh, I think Megiddo, I think I was, we were at Tel Megiddo and there was a cistern there. Cisterns are awesome until like dead animals start falling into it and decomposing. And, and I mean, it's just nasty. You do not want to drink out of a cistern. 
but we'll drink out of cisterns if it means we can be independent. Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Come to me and drink. We are deep down thirsty people. Whoever believes in me, and this is back right back to Jeremiah chapter 17, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Whoever believes in me, not just like, yeah, I believe that Jesus was a historical individual. No, whoever entrusts their life to me, receives me into their life, is willing to give over the reins of their existence to me because I really do love you and care for you. I want the best for you. I want you to have the life that is truly life, abundant life. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In order to have life, it has to come from outside. You can never, and, and look, you can never turn the spigot off and just coast a little while. For the church or for the disciple to thrive, to live, we have to be constantly connected to streams of living water. To be open to God like that, to be open to God like that, to be receiving those streams of living water goes against our own desire to be in control and to be independent. I know I struggle with this every single day. But if we are not daily refreshed by living water, we will dry up and die. It is an unsustainable way to live. Now, how do we do that? Well, very, very quickly, I'm going to give you what the Bible says. Every Sunday, it just seems like we always are hearing something out of the Bible. So boring. Now, here's what the Bible says. There's actually three ways that I'm going to tell you, but you're not going to like these ways. Your flesh is going to hate this. My flesh hates this. Well, here's how. The very first thing is prayer. And I'm not, and again, we're not talking about a Jesifying prayer or slapping a little Jesus on the end of the day. No, I'm talking about a life that is, is flowing with prayer, that we're praying constantly, praying without ceasing. I mean, we have, if, you know, thanks be to God, we actually have a book called the Book of Common Prayer. So if you're at a loss of how to do it, we have a resource for you. It's only worked for the last 500 years. It might work for you. And just be, and, and, and it, we can establish a pattern so that we are coming back again and again and again to the streams of living water. Prayer as, as intimate communion with God, not as a coda to put on the end of your day, but as the very, the very, the blood that's flowing through your vein and the breath that's coming out of your mouth. The second thing, and this is this was all of, of Psalm one. I mean, I'm gonna. This is this is on your song sheet. You could take it home, put it on your refrigerator. Forget about it. Blessed is the man who has not walked in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stood in the way of sinners, and has not sat in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in the word of God, and on his law he will he meditates day and night. 
So the word of God, if we're not constantly coming back to the to the living waters of the word of God, we are going to dry up. And you know what? Over and over this in the last six months, this has been a recurring theme at Christ Church. Read your Bible. Live in it. I don't get anything out of it. Well, you first have to start to read it. Don't tell me, you know, lots of times when people say they don't get anything out of the Bible, those are the people that aren't reading it. If you're not reading it, you won't get anything out of it. Read the Scriptures. Pray for the Holy Spirit to open God's Word to you. And then the third way that we do this, if you want to remain open to streams of living water, is in worship. If we are worshiping, now listen, if we're only worshiping God, and by the way, the people that need to hear this aren't here this morning. (laughs) If you're only worshiping God like, oh, once every four weeks, or once every six weeks, or just once every other week, let me just be very clear with you as your pastor, you will die. You do not have a viable spiritual life. You do not have a sustainable discipleship. Well, you know, and I'm not talking about, well, I worship God in my home. I turn on Joel Osteen. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> and it's not, and, well, I feel just as close to God on the golf course. No, you don't. Not in the woods or at the lake or at the beach, but actually worshiping God with his gathered people on the Lord's day. That's where the living water is. That's where the living water is. Because Christ is in the midst of his people through word and sacrament. Now, this is particularly important to me because I'm thinking, as I told you, this word sustainability is bumping around in my head. And it's been particularly bumping around in my head about, you know, what thinking about Christ Church 10 years from now, 15 years from now, when I'm not your pastor anymore. Somebody will say, God willing. As we think and plan about our future, especially as it pertains to, this is, this is, rubber hits the road. Whether or how we acquire more space for worship and fellowship and Christian education, we cannot plan and strategize our way into security and fruitfulness. It has to come flowing from the life of God. Now, yes, it is a good and godly thing to plan and to think. But you can't do that and just slap a little Jesus on it and think you're coming, you're, you're receiving the life of God. It has to begin and end in utter dependence and confidence in God. This is the only way. You know, that's where we were when we got into this place. We had no resources. We couldn't strategize our way into, uh, you know, 20, 20, huh? Yeah, a tent, exactly. Thank you, Ty. I'm glad you're here. (laughs) We can't, we didn't strategize our way to 2252 Queen Street. This was a gift. You know, it, it was obvious that God had put it on our hearts and just made a way where there was no way. And we can't do it again for the future. So I want to call on you to help help us and help me as your pastor, please. Um, you can do it in a couple of ways. You can remind me and say, um, you know, are are you? Is this coming from prayer? Is this coming out of worship? Is this coming from God's word, Ben? 
And you can also reach deep into those sources of living water, the Word of God, prayer, weekly worship on the Lord's Day. And with us, would you please pray for sustainability for Christ Church in those ways? That we would never, never, never turn to our own broken cisterns as a local church and certainly not as individual believers because God wants us to experience the life that is truly life. And He alone is the source of that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 